Oh, the Lord's so good. He's, he's so powerful. He's, he's here. He's beautiful. He takes dead people and brings them to life. He can give you hope today. Every song that we sang, every word that we've spoken in fellowship is all because He makes things possible. We can't conjure it up on our own. It's the Spirit of God that can change your life. It's those, He touched those people in that baptistry and He can touch you and He can change you today. So even if you come here with no hope, you will leave here hopeful because of Him. And so we're grateful for the songs and we're grateful for the fellowship. Now we come to a time of His Word and I'm going to take a little break from Ephesians. We've been going through that book. It's been an encouragement to me. I hope it's been to you, but we've been walking through it verse by verse. But I'm going to take a little break today and go to the Palm Sunday Parade in Mark chapter 11. It just makes sense as we enter into this last week of Jesus' life that we could look at Mark chapter 11. So that's where we are. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we're thankful for the words that we have sung today. Our hearts are open to you. Uh, We trust you. We believe in you. We acknowledge your presence and your power in our lives. And worship is about you. The teaching is about you. Everything is about you. So I pray that you could even take those of us who have wandering minds, even at this moment, thinking about other things to do today, that you would help us focus in on you because you're the changer in all situations. And we pray that you could just do something in our lives that's special, do something that's eternal, and uh, save someone today, encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 11. Jesus is entering into this, uh, what they call the royal entry, the triumphal entry. Let me give you a little context because it will help. Um, He had just healed uh, Lazarus. He had healed the blind men. He was very popular at this moment. He's entering into the last week of his life. He's been telling the disciples all along that he's going to die. And do you know they still didn't get it? They didn't get it as they were walking into Jerusalem. He had told them. He was being followed by people that thought he was a great prophet. He was very popular. And all parades focus on a personality. And there's a lot of preparation if you've ever been to a parade before. And there was preparation into this parade. The preparation was in Zechariah 9.9, There was a prophecy 500 years before that said Jesus would ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. Now, most kings, when they would come in to take over, they would come on a war horse. They would come on a stallion. And in Roman culture, if you defeated as a leader 5,000 people, it gave you a right to ride in a chariot, and that chariot would take you before the crowds. You would have those you would capture. You would have the spoils of war. But Jesus came in humility. Jesus was a different kind kind of leader than they wanted. And they wouldn't still bow down before him, but he was coming in as king. In fact, in many situations, and this was what he did, when he would touch somebody, when he would heal somebody, he would say, don't tell anyone what just happened. He veiled himself. But in this situation, in Mark chapter 11, as he approaches Jerusalem, he's coming in to say, I am the king. And you need to submit to the king. And they didn't think he was the king. It's kind of like people running for 
president. We're already seeing personalities show up for 2020. Who would want that kind of a job? Who would even want to think about going through the ridicule, the misunderstanding, the abuse? I mean, you have to cozy up if you're going to run for 2020, and we see people that are putting their name in the hat because they want to take it all the way to the parade of the convention because they want to be the final one that stands. So everybody's running against President Trump. We see that right now. We see people, and they have to cozy up to the business community. They have to understand the culture. They have to understand history. And they're misunderstood. They get slandered. Um, If something pops up in a news feed about them, they could be done with. And so you see that a lot of people get focused on a movement and a parade. Well, let me tell you something about Jesus. He's showing up for the convention. This is what the convention is. It's in Jerusalem. And he's the most misunderstood person at the convention. Nobody understood that he stood for righteousness and truth. Nobody understood that he was coming in as the king. And they needed to bow before him and submit to him and receive forgiveness of sins. But he was marching into the convention and people were confused of who he was. But you won't be confused of who he was when we finish this text. Because he rides in as the king. He was born as the king. In fact, when he was born in that manger, the very uh, hands, those tiny hands that were in those infant hands was the power of life and death. He was born a king. He's riding in as the king. And he's coming in not to take sides. He's coming in to take over. And the people still don't get it. And here's the thing. There's a lot of people that still don't get the message of God's love and grace. And I pray if you're here today that you wouldn't wait till Easter Sunday to get involved with the king. Today would be your day to submit to the king and bow before him. Mark chapter 11. All that was for free. All right, now here we go. Let's read the text. Here's what it says. Now we'll just kind of walk through this together. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem. I mean, he had followers before him. He had people behind him. In fact, they were coming in for Passover. Okay, so, so there, was, there was probably three million people gathered together around Jerusalem for Passover, for sacrifices to be made at the temple. And, and one lamb would cover the sacrifices uh, for, for ten people. So there was upward of three million people there. And he, Jesus was very popular at this time. But they didn't, get to, they didn't understand this thing. Listen to me. This is important to understand. They didn't understand. They were thinking Passover, sacrifices, we need to get there early. I mean, we may run out of room. We've got to get there early for the convention. But walking into Jerusalem and getting on a donkey is the Passover lamb. There, he is, he is coming. He is the Passover. They didn't get it. He's the only one. A thousand sacrifices of lambs for a lifetime could never take away the sins of the world. And Jesus Christ came into the convention and they didn't even nominate him as king. And let me tell you what, he wasn't running for king for a vote. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's going to let everybody know. Now watch this. This is an amazing text. So now when they, that was for free, drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, this is important, and he said to them, go into the village. Now keep in mind, they didn't think he was, they didn't, they really didn't believe what he had been telling them in the previous chapters. He sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village. Notice the details. This is a big event. This is a big parade that has significant small details and it has a word for us today. Go into the village opposite of you. And as soon as you have entered in, it will, you will find a colt tied on it, which no one has sat. 
loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. Circle that. And immediately he will send it here. So they, the disciples, the two, they went on their way and they found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosening the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus has commanded. So they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. Now this is significant in the text. Look at verse 2. He sent two of his disciples and he said to them, this is where it's really important. Jesus always sent his disciples in tandem, in two. He never sent them alone. He sent them to the upper room to prepare two of them. He sent them out for the healing and the preaching and the kingdom message. He sent them together as a team. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we significantly miss the details that are very small, but the significant part is he sent two of his disciples. Do you know that cults, when the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons go out, they never go out alone. They go out in twos to propagate a false message. And Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, we go out alone like the Lone Ranger. I mean, we don't even bring Tonto with us, but there's significance in this because he sent them in two. Because there's preparation and there's training and there's obedience that happens in the smallest of details. And that's what Jesus was looking for here. He sent two of his disciples. This is almost comical because you would think he could send one and they could handle untying a colt. But he sent two because they were always, his disciples were always in the classroom with Jesus. He was always teaching them to prepare them for the work that he had ahead. So this is very significant that they heard the word. They heard Jesus speak the word and he said to them, and here's what he said to them, go and find a colt. Now he had already had this colt in position. Is it by his providence or is it by his uh, sovereignty? And the answer is yes. The colt was there. And so here's what the text says. It's a very beautiful story. So what we got to understand here, you might think that two disciples is overkill. But it's not overkill when you're talking about obedience. It's not overkill. So when you think of your life, when you think of the little significant things that aren't significant to you but are significant in obedience, God says there's a with me principle. That's what he's saying here with these disciples. There's a with me principle. When we do ministry, we do ministry with one another. We've been looking at that in the book of Ephesians. So we're together and we're better together and together we can grow. So when you go do ministry with, by yourself, you're actually not training anybody. You're actually not bringing them along. You're actually not equipping them. So we can learn something about the significance of obedience in the small details. Because here's Jesus, here's the big picture, here's the big detail. The big detail is Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. So the work that is prepared for Jesus has been prepared before the foundation of the world. So when Jesus walks into Jerusalem, that's no small detail, that's a big detail. But the work was planned before he ever got there, and Jesus always worked perfectly inside the sovereign will of God. He always did 
perfectly what his father wanted him to do. So when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the work that he was to do had been planned before the foundation of the world. And when he got there and walked in that work, it was already prepared. And now the blessing that was prepared for him is now a blessing that's prepared for us because once we recognize the king has come, then we can receive the gift of grace by his heart and his life, and we can understand how much that he loves us. So that's the big picture. That's the big detail. But the small details in this is he told the disciples to do something. Here's the amazing thing. And they did it. When is the last time God told you to do something and you did it just because he said so? Think about that. You know, we always, the Lord tells us to do something, and we want an explanation. And we tell God, you tell me why I should do this. Listen, when is the last time you did something because God said, you do this, and this small, significant detail he's looking for in your life and my life is to walk through that in obedience. And we can risk everybody else's laughter to get the blessing and favor of God. Because if you think about these disciples, I'm sure everybody laughed at them. Go get a donkey. Go untie the donkey. I mean, what are people going to say? And Jesus even took care of that. So it's in the small details of our life that we think God is doing some overkill things. God says, no, I'm seeing if you're going to hear this word. Now listen carefully. I'm seeing Freeman, if you're going to hear my word, and then you're going to work the word that you just heard that I just told you. Well, I can tell you in my own personal life, I, I could be up here forever telling you times when God told me to do something and I tried to rationalize it in my mind. And you know what God said? Until you take this step of obedience, Freeman, big boy, don't think I'm going to unveil the rest of my revelation to you. Because if I reveal my revelation to you and you miss me as a relationship, that's all it takes. You, you need to move past revelation and get to relationship because I've planned this work and prepared this work. And the only way you can walk in it is by the little small details in your life. That's what the disciples were doing. This is amazing. Look at the text. I know the big picture. But we got to look at the small things. God tells us to do something. I heard a story about a little boy who uh, bought a goldfish. And you've probably done this too. And you walked in and you wanted a little fish. And they put that little fish in a little bag. And they put water in the bag. And you went to the goldfish store and you got you a goldfish. And a little boy went into the goldfish store, got him a goldfish. The man put it in the bag, the little uh, plastic, and put the water in it. And the little boy said, sir, do I leave this little goldfish in this little uh, wrapping in this water and do I leave it in this bag? And he said, well, son, it depends on how big you want your goldfish to be. He said, I would suggest that you go get an aquarium because goldfish will adapt to the size of the place and the space that they have. If you want to see your goldfish be a tiny little goldfish all of its life, then just leave that goldfish in that tiny little bag and it'll stay a tiny little goldfish all of its life. But if you want to expand your borders and you want to see this goldfish go and get big, I suggest you get an aquarium. And I started thinking that's exactly the way it is with God. God says, if you want to stay a tiny little goldfish all your life, then when I tell you to do something, you can hear my word, you just miss my word, and then you'll stay a tiny little goldfish. But if you want me to expand your borders and you want me to do something incredible in your life, when I, hear, when, you, when I tell you what to do, you do it and don't ask any questions. And you'll become a big fish for God. <clears throat> now, I'm preaching to myself. 
Believe me, I do it all week. I preach to myself and I, and I repent and bow down and do it all, all again. And then I ask you to participate. So, uh, but that's what he's doing here. Now, here's what he says. Notice the text. So he says, find a colt. And then it says this in verse 3. Look at the text. This is important to see. It says, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. How could the Lord have need of anything? He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He's the God of creation. He's the king over all things. How could he need everything? It need anything. How could he need anything? The Lord has need of it. Well, here's the point. The Lord works in partnership with people. And so when people align themselves with him, when the Lord, it says the Lord needs this, what he needs is your availability. And he needs you and me to participate with the gospel with him. And so the Lord, he did this a lot. He borrowed a donkey in this text. He borrowed a boat one time from Peter. He, he borrowed the upper room and he's going to borrow a tomb, but he's going to return that tomb because he only needs it for a weekend because he's alive. And so the Lord needs this. He needs you to participate in this, but the Lord is sovereign and in control. So I would ask you this morning, what do you have that you can place in his hands and say, the Lord needs this because he wants to use me in partnership with him? See, there's something you have in your life. There's something that I have in my life that it all depends on whose hands it's in. It all depends on we take what, what we have, what gifts we have, and we place it in the master's hand. And when we put it in the master's hand, the Lord can use us. And when it's a touch of his grace and his mercy, I read a story about a master violinist who was uh, going to do his last concert. You may have heard this story. And he had this Stradivarius violin, 300 years old. Everybody came to the grand finale, and they were waiting for him just to come out on the stage. And he took that violin, and he beautifully played it, and he played it, and he played it, and everybody gave him a standing ovation. And at the very end of the concert, he smashed the violin on the stage, broke it into pieces, and people just went, <gasps> and he said, I bought that at a pawn shop for $25. And here's what he said. Never forget this. It's never about the instrument. It's about the instrument and placing it in the master's hand. And then he pulled out his 300-year-old Stradivarius. See, it all depends on whose hands it's in. And so if you look at this text, the disciples, they heard the word, and then they began to work the word that they heard. And so they had to get in a position of obedience. They were at the right place at the right time, but would they make the right choice to respond properly to God's word so they could be a fulfillment of the preparation and the prophecy in this parade? So the Lord has need of it. Yes, God can do his work without us. He is that powerful, but he's so gracious that he chooses to use people like us who are broken people who can only bring our brokenness to him and say, God, use us. Put me back together. Make me new. Do something in me. That's what he's saying. Now, here's what the text says. So they went on their way. All right. So they're hearing the word. Now they're working the word that they hear. So they went on their way. They found the colt. This is obedience. Tied by the door outside the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing? Loosen the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. This is important. So there's a repositioning that takes place. 
So in your life and in my life, when God tells us to do something and we hear the word of God and we begin to work that word, we oftentimes need to be repositioned to a place of obedience so that we can walk in the victory that is already ours. And that's what was happening here. It's not when they heard the word, it's when they did the word. That's called obedience. So God tells us to hear the word and then to work the word. So some of you here this morning, you've heard the word. God's already told you an area to be obedient in your life. And today would be a great day, not till Easter. Let's do it today. Let's settle the issue of obedience today. You can walk in the victory of hearing the word and you can work that word today. Maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you need to give your heart to King Jesus. He can take your heart. He can take your pain. He can take your brokenness. He can give you a brand new heart and life today. Maybe that's the decision. Others of you, it's baptism. It's following through in obedience. God says, hey, just follow me in baptism and trust me and be a light and I'll take care of the rest. So we see this. See, I would rather risk people's laughter and get in on what God has for me than be scared of the crowd all my life. Because the crowd is always going to be fickle. The crowd's always going to laugh at us. It's getting worse and worse and worse. But we have a blessing and the blessing is always in the hand of obedience. Now, look at the text. It says here, and he sat on the colt. He sat on the colt. Now, have you ever sat on a donkey or a colt that has never been ridden? Because this one's never been ridden, okay? And so, watch this. Salvation is sitting on a donkey. The disciples didn't get it. The people along the road didn't get it. All the people in Jerusalem are thinking, let's sacrifice and let's kill and let's shed blood. The more lambs, the better, covers the multitude of sins. And Jesus, the Passover lamb, comes in and says, you're missing it, it's me. And sovereignty and salvation is riding on a donkey. Now watch, Jesus sits on the donkey, and that donkey, think about this, there's three million people. There's, there, there's crowds before and there's crowds after. And that donkey is in beautiful submission to the Savior. Think about that. So he is God over all creation, but he's also the salvation for the people if they would just look. And that donkey becomes fearless. If you think about it, that donkey becomes fearless. You think about the crowds. You think about skittish animals. If you ever saw the horse whisper, if you, I mean, it's like a donkey whisperer here. I mean, Jesus is just sitting on the donkey. He's got everything under control. He's sovereign, and he's the one that's riding into town, and he is the king. And so he's on this donkey, and this donkey is in perfect submission to him. Now, I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. Do you know that God, this is a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in my life and your life. He wants to ride us until he gets us into a position where we're submissive to him. And see, one of the beautiful things about knowing whether you're a child of God, uh, God is not punishing you when he rides you. He's disciplining you because he wants you to break yourself in your will so that your will can be submissive to his will. So God's going to ride you and he's going to ride me until he gets us to the point where we trust him and we let him be the sovereign one who's in control. Now listen, he, he loves you just where you are today. He loves you way more than to keep you where you are today. He wants to see you move. He wants to see you be used in glorious ways and beautiful ways for his kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. The king has come. So when you think about salvation on a donkey and a salvation is, and, and, and this donkey is fearless, think about when Jesus comes into your life. By grace, you receive him by faith. You ask Jesus. You say, Jesus, 
Save me. Come into my heart. Break me of my sin. Break me of my will. Come in. And then would you be in control of my life from here on out? And he'll do that. He loves you that much. He'll take you places that you've never been before. And he loves you too much to keep you where you are. He'll take you places that you've never been before. But it'll be in the significant, small details of obedience. Just do what he tells you to do. That's the message today. Do what he tells you to do. Salvation on a donkey. Now let me tell you how how the people were. Let's go a little further in the text. Verse 8. And many spread their clothes on the road, because this is what they do at parades. Everybody gets all excited about personalities and parades and preparation and excitement. So they spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed, this is the big crowd, saying, Hosanna, look at the text, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now let's stop right there. The word Hosanna here, here's what they were looking for. They weren't looking for a spiritual savior. They were looking for a political savior. Passover was for Israel to celebrate uh, the bondage that they had gone out of Egypt and that God had brought them out of Egypt. And so what faces them now is uh, they're in bondage to Rome. So what they were hoping is this one who's a great prophet, who's a great rabbi, who's a great rider on a donkey, that he'll come in and save us from Rome. But Jesus didn't come to make war with Rome. Listen carefully. He came to make war with sin. He came to take away the sin problem. He didn't come to make war with Rome because that's what a person would do. A war horse warrior would come in if they were taking over Rome and they would make war with Rome. Jesus' purpose and his preparation and the sovereignty of God is that he would take away sin. He would not triumph over Rome. He would triumph over sin. So when they cry out, this is important, when they cry out, Hosanna, save us now, they're not saying save us from our sin. They're saying rescue us from Rome. Just like you raised Lazarus from the dead, why don't you rescue us and raise us from the bondage of Rome and knock them out, and then we'll go ahead and wave those palm branches, and then we'll follow you the rest of our days. And Jesus said, I'm the king. You need to bow before me. Do you understand what he's doing here? It's an amazing thing. And so this work that God was doing that he had planned before the foundation of the world, they wanted Jesus on their terms, not his terms. And that's the way a lot of people are. A lot of people say, well, I'll receive Jesus on my terms. And and then you come up with your terms, and then you try to receive Jesus on your terms. And then the first time that Jesus disappoints you in your criteria, you give up on him, and you turn from the crowd, and you walk away from him because you're disappointed in him. Let me tell you what Jesus' terms are. Jesus' terms are this. There's sin. There's a sin problem, and sin is the class bully. And I have come to save people from their sins. And so instead of running away from me, instead of running in front of me in this parade, you need to bow before me. Because a lot of people think they can outrun sin. Can I tell you something? You cannot outrun your sin. Sin will find you out, knock you down, and capture you every time. But the problem is this. You can't get away from your sin, but you can run to the Savior, which is what Jesus was saying as he was riding in on the donkey. He said, I'm the king. You need to repent. You need to come to me. Hosanna, save us now. Jesus was saying, that's a relationship with me. They're saying, oh, we want you to save us from our situation. No, you need to bow before the one who can save you from your sins. 
That's what Jesus is doing here. He's riding in as the king. So you can attach yourself this morning. Watch this. All of us have a sin problem in this room. And when we acknowledge our sin and when we trust Jesus as our Savior and when we acknowledge our dependency upon Him, then we attach ourselves to Him and He attaches Himself to us. And then we're trusting in the one who doesn't change and we're trusting in the one who we can securely rely on. It's Him. He's unchangeable. So that's the message that Jesus was trying to get across to the people on this parade. Now, So we run not away from sin, we run to the Savior who is going to... See, Jesus' mission was not to end at the parade. His mission was to go all the way to the cross, and that's where he was going. Parade was fickle people. They they would cheer, and then they would jeer, and they would turn on him. Let's go a little further in the text, and we'll come to the end here. And here's what the text says. So they were saying, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is saying, you want me to be the Savior on your terms? I want to be the Savior on my terms. So you need to understand your sin problem and repentance. And Jesus was going to the cross. And I love something he does here. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay, think about this. Are you king for one day? What do you mean you go into the temple? Go into the temple and take over. If you're the king, take over. This is interesting about Jesus, and I think it's a good word for us. Oftentimes, we blame bad decisions on our personalities. Because some of you have some takeover personalities, and you want to walk into the temple, whatever the temple looks like, and you're saying, lift it and shift it, move it and shake it, get over here, you do this, stop doing this. Well, he's fixing to overturn tables, but that's the next day. He goes in and does something as God that's amazing. He observes the situation. In my life, I have probably gotten into more trouble by moving ahead too abruptly and too quickly rather than following what Jesus does here. He observes. He's the king. He's the son of God. He looks around. He's got all these people. And then he says, and the hour was already late. He went out to Bethany with the 12. He observed. Now watch this. Jesus was in control because he was under control. He was in perfect control with his father, in perfect unity with his father. He didn't have to go in and do anything. He observed. And I think that's a good word for us. Sometimes we need to go in and we need to observe a situation and we need to back away and go to Bethany and pray about it and say, God, what would you have me to do instead of me and my flesh just launching out and doing something in my own flesh that's going to cause damage to all kinds of people? Could we go in and look and back off and say, God, what would you have me do? So Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. He He goes into the temple and he walks away and spends the night and he makes sure he's in perfect alignment with the Father. Now this is beautiful. So Jesus came for the purpose. The whole purpose of the triumphal entry was for them to repent and turn from their sins. This is the final week of Jesus' life. Let me see if I can bring it home to you like this. Jesus wants to save you from your sin, from the penalty of sin from the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. And let me explain how this happens. I, uh, when I lived in Tennessee and I pastored out there, the Okoe River was pretty close to us. And this was the Okoe River, not the Guadalupe. This was the one where the Olympics were held, okay? This is the one where people die on. If you make a mistake and you don't listen to your guide, you may not make it. So our guide gave us this speech before we got on the 
uh, I think it was a, a number four rapids. This is, this is the kind where you don't want to take your church group and go, yeah, we're just followers of Jesus. And, uh, and the guide says, I've been waiting for people like you to come. Yeah, come on on board here. Y'all come on. And so anyway, so we get in this uh, raft and he gives us all of these instructions. And this guy is arrogant. He has no humility like Jesus. He is filled with pride. And we're pretty, I mean, back in the day, I mean, I'm telling you, I was pretty buff. I'm with a football player that played at Cumberland College. I mean, he didn't have a neck and he, he just was like this. And they gave him a couple of paddles. And so we're all in this thing and we're listening to the instructions. And we go over the first rapids and, and he flips us. The guide flips us. I know he did it. I, I know he did it on purpose. And he flips us in these rapids. And I mean, we go out, I mean, we've got blood. I mean, my knees are cut, I mean, to pieces. My face is mangled. Uh, I'm seeing the guy with no neck. He's barely above the water. He's just trying to breathe. I mean, I mean, he was saying things. I, I didn't even know what those words were. And he was saying, and we're all, and this guy is laughing, and then he's not laughing anymore because all of a sudden he's on the shore. And these rapids are taking us. We're at the mercy of those rapids. And he takes the lifeline that these guys are trained to throw. And he gets my big friend out of there first. He gets the football player out of there. And we don't have any paddles. We're at the mercy of this river. And we're just going down these rapids. And oh, by the way, in the speech that he told us before we got on, he said a guy died the day before and never came up. Well, I hope you have a happy day. So we're, we're fixing to die. This is true. We're fixing to die. I think, so my friend gets pulled in. He gets rescued. And then finally the rope comes to me and I'm saying, man, I, I mean, I was most athletic at Dobie. Surely I can catch a rope. He throws the rope and I miss it. And I'm going, this is my last chance. He goes, I'm, one more time, you're going down. He throws the rope to me. I get it. He pulls me in. Man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm every emotion you can have, man. I'm, I'm ready to kill him. I'm ready to kiss him. I, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> And here's what I learned that day. There was only one person that could rescue us from that river. And it was the man who had the rope. And he threw the rope and he got all of us. Eventually, he, he, there was two guys. He, they got us in. And here's what happened. So he saved us from the penalty of sin, if you can get this picture here. What Jesus was coming to present. I came to save people from the penalty of sin. Well, he rescued us from the river. But when he put us on the side of the river, we've got cuts, we're bleeding, we're mangled, we're bruised, we're scared, we're fearful. That river kept roaring even though we were safe on the shore. Now listen to me. Listen to me. This is so important. Jesus Christ can save you from the penalty of your sin. He will rescue you and pull you from the roar of the river. If you will bow before him today, if you will trust him today, if you will acknowledge that he's the king riding into Jerusalem and he's the king over the evil one and he's the king over demons and he's the king over the devil and he's the king over this world and he's the king over everybody who's running for president. If you'll exercise your right of leadership and say, I want to meet the king today, he will pull you from the river of roaring today. He will rescue you from the penalty of sin. But watch this. He will set you on the solid ground. Now watch this. But the rest of your life, the roar of the river will continue to roar. Listen to me. The roar of the river, sin will continue to roar in front of you. It's the same river that you got rescued out. So not only do you, have you been saved from the penalty of sin, He has saved you by His grace and He'll do that today, but He has saved you from the power of sin, which is the power of that river. It's going to roar the rest of your life. Sin will roar the rest of your life. But when you get Jesus in your heart, you've got victory over the penalty of sin and the power of sin because he's the king. Amen. 
And watch this. One day, you'll be rescued from the presence of sin and it couldn't come too soon. He'll save you. He'll save you to the uttermost. So as we get ready for marching into Easter next week, let's don't forget Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is about Jesus unveiling that he's the king. He's the king today, and he can be the king in your heart if you'll just receive him by faith. Would you bow your head this morning and pray with me? You know, I don't know what... You may be one of those people that are kind of like the crowd. You're kind of a casual follower you got a lot of things going on in your life and you acknowledge Jesus and you acknowledge that, that maybe even he came in on a donkey and he came riding in and he sat on that donkey. And you're just kind of a casual follower and a casual comer to church and you know, you're thinking that church is the way to heaven and religion is the way to heaven. But I can promise you today that this king that rode in on Palm Sunday in this parade is the one who not only wants to take up residence in your life, he wants to be the president of your life. He wants to be number one. And you can receive him today. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you don't know what it's like to have a king live in your heart, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Would you say, Dear God, by your sovereign power and grace, today, I see that your son is the prophecy and the preparation and the plan for taking care of the sin of the world. And the best way I know how, God, right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask Jesus, the Savior of the world, to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. And he'll do that. He, he'll take a broken life. He'll take... Old stuff and make it brand new, the Bible says. Old things are passed away. Everything becomes new. And the king lives in your heart. You have a new destiny. You have a new power. Not only are you saved in this moment from the penalty of sin, you're saved from the power of sin. Those things that you could never overcome in your flesh can now be overcome by the power of Jesus over sin in your life. And that relationship is available to you today. Just ask Him to come in. Father, we just thank You so much for this morning. We're grateful, grateful for Your Word. We're grateful for Your grace because none of us deserve to be here. If it wasn't for You, none of us would be here. Many of us have made really poor decisions and even leading up to this day. But You take people who make poor decisions who will humble themselves before an almighty God and you make something beautiful out of humility and you give hope to people. So I pray you give hope to some people in this room today because of their faith in you. Do something in us before Easter. Start it today. Do it today, Lord, and we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.